We're back on another Wednesday, and it is July 19th, 2023, and we're in Deuteronomy 24, Deuteronomy 24, and we left off uh, around 14, 15, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, talk a little bit about 14 again, so before we get started... Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit will guide us, help us to understand your awesome holy scriptures, that we will be able to apply them to our minds and our hearts, and it will um, help us to be a little more equipped to go out and do the things that you have called us to do. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Had a good Bible study at the jail last night, and um, I did the sermon that I did a couple Sundays ago on uh, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we talked about the, that statement of faith that I read to you guys, or just kind of went over that statement of faith of that person that I saw on the uh, YouTube. Uh, it, was a, it was a big ministry. And we went over that, and it, it was really good. We, it, I did it a little, little bit differently than I did it here on, su on Sunday morning. And uh, it went really well. Uh, Cameron was there. Um, he, he really liked the way the way uh, I did that, and see, Cameron is, he's a, uh, he's, he's from a Pentecostal background, so, you know, that second work, or that, that second, how, I mean, let me look at how that definition was again. <clears throat> the definition under this, just, just so, you know, people are listening on the podcast, and you don't know what we're talking about, uh, a couple weeks ago on a Sunday, we did a sermon called uh, Baptized or Baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it was in reference to a, a YouTube preacher, or he has a big church and a following and happens to be on YouTube. And I was talking about some of the most popular people on YouTube or the biggest churches the most followed are some of the most corrupt. So you've got to be very careful about the ones that just pop up automatically because so many people are watching them. That, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good thing that they're that popular because unfortunately there's just so many people out there that they want signs and miracles, they, they want prosperity, and you can, you can talk to people in a way and pull out certain things in the Bible to get people interested in what you're doing. Um, there's all kinds of these get-rich-quick schemes that people fall for over the years. And then they just rename them, twist them around a little bit, and then present it again. Because there's so many people out there that are, that are looking out for themselves. It's basically, you know, every human being has got this uh, weakness of being human, right? 
we, we just happen to be human. We come into the world and we got all these weaknesses. We want comfort. We want security. There's all these things we want. And you can go into the Bible and pull certain things out and, and build something on that and people will fall for it. People are easily manipulated. Um, and, we, and the Bible warns about that. You know, you get into First and Second Peter and Jude. You, you, you're we're warned not to fall for those things, but yet we do. So, uh, this particular ministry, for the most part, and, I, and I'm purposely not saying the name of the ministry. If you want to know what it is, you can come see me. But uh, this person, I listened to a sermon that he did, a Bible teaching that he did, and it was it was excellent. And uh, I went through the statement of faith, but when I got to number 11 out of 14, and it said, Baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then the, uh, the definition of that was a second experience subsequent to salvation for born-again believers. Now, Cameron's sitting beside me last night, and he's listening to me say that, and he's like, and, I, and, and, and the way I started it all, I, I was saying, I wasn't trying to make it sound like I disagreed with this. I just wanted just to talk about it, and then we'll go to the Bible and let the Bible kind of play it out. Because I didn't know how he really felt about it, because he's from a Pentecostal background, and maybe he's a strong believer in this second work. Because the charismatic churches, the Pentecostals, all they, they talk about this second work of the Holy Spirit falling after believing. And, and then it says, this uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit, the second experience, it gives power to witness and supernatural strength to live the crucified life. Now, those two places that I read out of Acts that they list, because every single one of these statements Holy Bible, Trinity, Jesus Christ, what they believe on all those topics, they have scripture verses underneath every one. So that particular one had two places, Acts 8, and the verses would be 15 through 17, and Acts 19, verse 6, but I read the whole stories, and so that we can get some good, good stories about... Uh, Simon the sorcerer, and then Apollos. You know, I wanted to get those stories out as well because there's some valuable lessons that you learn on those stories. And when you read those two accounts, it's obviously something that happened later. You see how you can just take certain places in the Bible and you can pull those things out to prove your point. But you're not getting all of it. You're, you're purposely leaving other verses away so that you can prove your point with these two verses. So when I read about those two situations, these people, they, they believed, they were believers, but they did one of them, when uh, they found them, they said, have you, got, uh, have you been baptized with the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they're like, we haven't even heard of, of such a thing as a Holy Ghost. And then they laid hands on them, and then they were filled with the Holy Ghost. But when you go to uh, the, the verse reference that's not in this statement of faith here, 
would be Acts 10 and even 11, where you have the story of Cornelius. Now, I was, I should have been talking about this last Wednesday, uh, but because of what I did at the jail, it brought it back to my memory. And again, Wednesday nights originally was supposed to be to, you know, go back over some of the things that was done on Sunday. So I just feel like it's a good time to do it. But that story of Cornelius, Peter is sharing the gospel. And if you go back and you read what he's saying, he's just describing the gospel story perfectly. And then it says, as he was yet speaking, the Holy Ghost fell on Cornelius and all in his household. And they started to speak in other tongues and prophesy and things like that. And then he looked around at the six guys that went with him, Jewish guys that had to witness this. He said, well, looky here. What would forbid us to get some water so that we can baptize these people? Well, the other, store, other two places in Acts, these people have been either baptized with John's baptism or maybe even John's baptism and water baptism after believing on Jesus. Then they got this Holy Spirit fell on them. Well, in the story of Cornelius, the Holy Spirit fell on them just from hearing the gospel story and then they went through water baptism. So, how accurate is this second work? This second experience? Okay, this is probably what... You know, even the old Methodists, if you go way back into the Methodist church, I guess I'm not supposed to even say that word anymore, right? I'm banned from even saying that word. Now, but I'm, talk, I'm way before United... Oh, sorry. United, that one I can't say anymore. But it's the, the, the Methodists, a long time ago. I, I think I can still talk about them. Well, there was a lot of people within Methodism, how do you say it? That, thought, that believed in a second work, or a second experience, I should say. A second work of the Spirit. Uh, but a, an experience, a second experience, a, a lot of them did. Okay, so what is this thing that happens? If, if I have shown you in Scripture that the Holy Ghost falls on you when you believe, okay, here's what might be happening. So you might have that experience of something else happening. I know I do. I have the experience of something else happening. Many people, I think, they, 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 either they grow up in the church as a kid and they've heard all about it. They've heard about it. And they just think because they, believe, they have this childlike faith that Jesus was who he said he was. And they, they've grown up believing. But then there comes that time, that age of accountability, where you have to believe on your own. It can't be from just experience being in a church and being around other believers. So you have this mindset that you're born again because you, you believe all this stuff, but then one day the Holy Spirit falls on you, and that's true salvation right there, and you think it's a second experience. That could possibly be it. Then there are people who you know, come in later in life, they, they, uh, they believe, they, they may even have walked up and said a sinner's prayer, and they think that they're born again. 
whether they really truly are. We don't know. We can't really judge that. But they may have just done it out of guilt. You know, some preachers call it fire insurance. You know, they just don't want to go to hell. So what, what do I have to do to not go to hell? Because hell sounds really scary. And they come up out of fear, and they, uh, and, and they just go through the routine. Man, I hope it stuck. I hope it did. It could be something like that. Uh, and also, just because, and, and, and you might have a genuine born-again experience, and then you just don't know a lot about the Bible. And you're reading the Word, you're hearing preaching, you're maturing, and all of a sudden there's this illumination. And you're like, oh, I get it. So you've been struggling to try to not sin anymore, like whatever it might be in your life. Everybody's got different things. And then all of a sudden you, you get this power, this supernatural power to actually live the so-called crucified life. You, you, maybe you're reading Romans and you, it finally hits you, wait a minute, I am crucified. I've been trying to kill my flesh, but the Bible says I'm already crucified. He did it for me. So even in living my Christian life, I don't have to work to conquer sin. I just believe what the Word says about me. And Jesus died and I'm good. So maybe it's something like that. There's all kinds of things that you can come up with that would explain this, uh, this second experience. So was that helpful or not? <laughs> but yeah, we, we had, a, had a good time. Had a good time last night. Um, I would never, thought, never would have thought that you know, going to hang out at the jail would be a good time, but it's a good time. I, I really like it. I'm just very happy I get to leave. Yeah, they, they come and escort me out, and that's a good thing. All right, so um, Deuteronomy 24, verse 14. I'm going to read that again. I know we did it last week. But thou shalt not oppress an hired servant that is poor and needy, whether... He be of thy brethren. So if he's one of, one of your people or of thy strangers that are in thy land within thy gates, at his day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be sin unto thee. Now, so basically, this... I mean, we have those situations still today, possibly. You know somebody is really needing some work, and you have something that... Now, you, you have a lot of people that are on the street corners, you know, and they hold up signs. You know, it used to be, uh, you know, we'll work for food. They used to have that on the sign a long time ago. But if you stop and said, well, come on, I got some work for you to do, they'd be like, no, I can't leave my spot. It's like, well, the sign says you'll work for food. It's like... Oh, is that what? Oh, nah, I can't leave my spot. Because people just give them money for doing nothing but stand there and holding a sign. But if you did hire, if, you, if that, uh, that person was real and they really needed, they were willing to work, and you put them to a job, and then at the end of the day, you really need to give them the money for that day because of this right here. They're desperate. They, they, got, they might have kids at home. 
that are waiting for daddy to come home with a loaf of bread. So make sure that you, you, you pay them. And this is for the poor and the needy, okay? That's what this is talking about. Um, over in James chapter 5, verse 4, it says, uh, Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped in, are entered into the ears of the Lord of... I have a hard time saying... Sab, it's not Sabbath, but it's Sayaoth. But it's, it would be uh, the Lord of hosts or the Lord of the armies. Um, he, he's a powerful. He's, he, he's in control of things. And if you don't... Say you just... You don't... You tell somebody that you're going to pay them a certain amount of money to come work, and then when they've done the job, you, you make up some excuse why you're not going to give them what you agreed on. That would, God is, does not like that at all. He's very, he gets very angry over things like that. So that's just a, an example out of uh, the New Testament that kind of goes along with what we see in Deuteronomy. 16, the fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. So, uh, we have seen examples in the Old Testament where a man sinned and his wife and children and his livestock, everything was killed because of it. This seems like it can be a contradiction. Um, but generally speaking, you don't put the kids, you don't, you don't punish the kids for what the, the parents have done. And then if the parents, so we, we see a lot of that. We see some of those things happening now. Um, you have a kid will do something bad and then the parents are being charged. Okay, so what are they being charged with? I mean, there's really no crime on the books about being a bad parent. Um, if they actually broke some type of a law to enable the kid to do what they did that hurt other people, you could hold them accountable. But sometimes today, you, know, you, you can have, I mean, and I've seen it. I've seen parents being falsely accused of things. Excellent parents. It seems like the really good parents, they get picked on by people. They'll get turned in by people. Whether it's, uh, you know, they, they discipline their kids, and then they get turned in and say, oh, they, they're abusing them, when they wasn't abusing them at all. But they can get in trouble for doing what the Bible says. Then you have the rotten parents that seem to get away with everything. So we are to be uh, good parents, and, and, and you, have better, you have better kids. You have better societies when families are together, and families work together, and there is discipline. 17, thou shalt not pervert the judgment of the stranger, nor of the fatherless, nor take a widow's raiment to pledge. But thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt, 
And the Lord thy God redeemed thee thence, therefore I command thee to do this thing. 19 says, When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, and hast forgot a, sh a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. When thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the bows again. It shall be for the stranger, and for the fatherless, and for the widow. When thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and the widow. 22. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore I command thee to do this thing. They, they, they needed to remember that they as a people were under the affliction of the Egyptians for many, many, many years. They need to remember that. So... Justice, I'm reading from this uh, Bible believer, or Believer's Bible. Justice was to be shown to the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. A field was not to be completely harvested. See, this, this, when, we, when I, was, I was actually talking about gleaning a couple weeks ago when we were talking, about, because it's something very similar, and, but what we saw a couple weeks ago was people traveling and walking over to someone's field and grabbing some grain, just enough to eat, and they were told not to take any more. Don't take a, uh, you know, a tool for harvesting over and start chopping a bunch of it down and gathering and taking a whole bunch with you. Don't do that. So it's a type of gleaning, but, but this is the real gleaning right here. And that's when you do harvest your field, that you, don't, you purposely don't take every little grain, every great, whatever it is you happen to be raising and harvesting, you, you, they were taught, you know, you're going to drop some things. Don't worry about it. Let it lay there because there's going to be people coming in after you get done. And, um, you know, a couple, couple weeks ago I was mowing out here and we had a big old buck that was wanting to do some gleaning. And he waited for me to get done mowing, and I pulled the mower up to the trailer, and here he come walking across the back of the church here and went over to the apple tree. And he's a good gleaner. He's awesome. <clears throat> and got a big old rack on him. And uh, th so that we're, we're taught to not take everything so that the, the poor, the people who don't have much. So the story of Ruth is, is where you'll get the best example of that. And she's a Moabite, came from another country. They've lost everything, don't have anything. And, you know, her mother-in-law gave her good, good advice. And she goes and she's willing to work. She, she just wants to go and she just happened to go into this particular field you know, it was like divine guidance into this field. And she was willing to do something. That's why if you just have a welfare system where people don't do anything, 
what's the incentive to actually get out of that situation? See, it's just, it's just bad. The way, the way we handle it as a government uh, in this country is really messed up. And we keep people, it, it, the people who work harder to try to um, pay for extras, um, like the guy that uh, worked an extra job, he, he got an extra job to try to get his, get enough money saved up to put his daughter in college and come to find out because of his income being elevated, she didn't even get the normal breaks that you can get if you go to college and apply and they're oh well you get financial aid here here but he had put himself in a higher income where she didn't qualify for any of those things it's like what so it hurt them by him being responsible and wanting to work hard to pay for something he was punished for it that's the opposite of the way it's supposed to be but that's the way we do it and we wonder why it's so, that everything's so messed up. So here is a, a good example of you, you don't gather the stuff and take it to them, but leave stuff there, and they're, if, they're, if they're so sorry they're not going to get up and come to the field to pick these things up for themselves, let them go hungry. But they are going to come and pick these things up. Okay, so gleanings were to be left for the poor and the helpless, the same applied to harvesting of olive trees and grapes. Um, so the memory of their own poverty and oppression in Egypt was to prompt them to leave generous gleanings for the poor sojourner, the widow, and the fatherless. Now, the very last part of this says, When John Newton was born again, he printed verse 22 in large letters, and hung it over his mantelpiece where he would be constantly reminded of it. John Newton. So what does 22 say again? It says, And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, therefore I command thee to do this thing. Now that's all that says in here about, about that, about John Newton. This verse meant something to him, and he put it in large letters where he could see it every day. Why? Why would John Newton do such a, such a thing? First, who is John Newton? Hmm? What's that? And he was a slave trader. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, probably the most famous by far of any hymn, John Newton was actually a slave trader. He went and, and got slaves from Africa and had them move to Europe, England, and, and all up through there, and then to America, all the different places. If you, what's the name of that movie, William Wilberforce? It is. The, the movie is actually called Amazing Grace, and it's about William Wilberforce and John Newton. William Wilberforce would be an example of uh, government, like, like, uh, like we would have a congressman or a senator, you know, somebody in the government. John Newton, by that time, had become a minister. I mean, he was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. That's why he wrote, you know, Amazing Grace. Why, I mean, a wretch like me. 
you know, I once was lost, and now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. But he knew that he was a wretched sinner, and he needed Jesus to save him. And he ends up becoming a minister. So here you have a government person who's trying to ban the slave trade in England. Uh, then you, and, and the movie is about him and John Newton talking with each other and, and working on this, this goal of theirs to stop the slave trade. But what about the separation of church and state? People would say they shouldn't be talking with each other because he's, he's in the ministry and he's in government. But we should have government officials that we elect that go to church and seek out spiritual guidance. That's the type of people you, you should want in your government, is people who fear God. You know, early in this nation, if you go back and look at some of the original constitutions of states, of actual states, and I've read bits and pieces from several different states, and they will have things, you know how our Constitution will say uh, the president has to be American-born and he has to be a certain age. I, I, I might be 35. Is, it, is that what it is? Something like that? 40? To be president? And then a senator has to be a certain age, and it might be 30. And then a congressman, just a House of Representatives, it's, it's younger. Uh, it, it's different ages for different positions of authority, okay? Well, in some state constitutions, they actually had it in there to where they had to be a, in good standing in their church. They had to be a born-again believer. They had to at least say they were. Or they, you, you don't, because you don't want anybody other than that to be your leader. Imagine say, having, having that today as a rule. You, you can't even get in a race unless you're a born-again believer. All right, well, we have all kinds of different peoples from different places, have different backgrounds. So we have people running for office right now that are popular. You know, some are Roman Catholics. Well, I think in the past, John Kennedy might have been the first and only Roman Catholic, you know, and then not anymore until recently. We have a Hindu. Well, they say he's a Hindu that's running, trying to be nominated, you know, to be, you know, run for president. He's very popular. He sounds awesome. So, is that okay? Do you, do you trust somebody who has 30 gods? I think that's how Hindu is. I, I think it's like 30 main gods and then hundreds of minor gods. If you study Hindu, maybe they just came from a Hindu background and maybe they don't even participate in it. They're really not. They, it's just what they are because that's what they came from. Because there's plenty of people who say they're Roman Catholic and they look nothing like a Roman Catholic. Right? So just because you say you're something, because this particular Hindu that I'm talking about says way more Christian stuff than a lot of 
so-called Christians say. Sometimes you've got to judge them by their fruit, but are you going to trust someone who is a Hindu or a Buddhist, you know, these different types of uh, religions that we as Christians would have to say is a false religion because the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through Him. And there's so many Christians, and I say professing Christians, they just say they're Christians, that think that you can get to heaven in any of the other religions. If you're sincere, blah, 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 you know, you, you can get to heaven your way. If it's through Hinduism, if it's through Buddhism, whatever, there is an alarming high number of people who go to church that say that that's, that's good, you can do that. Are you calling Jesus a liar? So, you know, be tolerant, don't, don't, you know, if I, if I go along with that, and I really believe that this person that's a Hindu and he practices Hindu, he's going to hell. What kind of loving person am I to just let him go right on to hell? But if I say something about it publicly, people would say I'm mean and not loving. So it doesn't seem to be very important anymore with most people in this country whether someone is a true Christian or not if they're running for office. And, and that, that's sad. I mean, it's, it's, we, that's why we're in the mess we're in now. Because as a, as a people, we, we just don't hold it near and dear anymore. We become way too tolerant of things that God says <laughs> that's, it's just absolutely not. <clears throat> All right, let's move into 25. So all of that, just from mentioning John Newton and William Wilberforce. It's a good movie. I recommend it. It's not exciting, a bunch of action. It's, you, really, you really need to be interested in history to be able to enjoy that movie, but it's, it, it is powerful. 25, different regulations if there be a controversy between men and they come unto judgment, that the judges may judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. Wow. Now, do you see that going on today? You see uh, people who do really bad stuff get smacked on the hand and sent on home. And then you see people who really haven't done anything bad that bad, and they're condemned. We, we're seeing the opposite of this today. We, we, <laughs> we have seen people literally turn over police cars, burn down city buildings, and no one has gone after them at all. And then we've got other people who've gone and peacefully protested, didn't even know what was going on at the Capitol, and they've been picked on and harassed just because there's evidence that they were in that particular city and they, did, they were just out and didn't even know what was going on. Two, and it shall be if the wicked man be worthy to be beaten 
that the judge shall cause him to lie down and to be beaten before his face according to his fault by a certain number. Forty stripes he may give him and not exceed, lest if he should exceed and beat him above these with many stripes, then thy brother should seem vile unto thee. All right, well, let's, re let's read verse 1 again. If there be a controversy between men, and they come unto judgment, that the judges may judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. All right, we, here just recently, we've, we've got a particular person in the news. I'm not, I don't want to mention names, but they were clearly caught doing some very bad things and they were just let off, you know, it's like because of who they were. They were, all right, yeah, you can just go on. Proverbs 17, 15 says, He that justifieth the wicked, and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. Yeah, there's a lot of people in our government that need to read their Bibles. I just want to just read this one verse right here. At least get that read. And then we'll work on the next step. You can read this out of Deuteronomy and then maybe even read some more. Because they desperately need to read the Word of God. I mean, it's not just a sin. It's an abomination. And we're seeing it almost on a daily basis in this country. We are seeing this. And, and, and this, again, this, doesn't, this isn't saying, uh, and he that condemneth the just, as in this just is saved. You know, uh, when you see justified, we, we, we've talked about that before. That doesn't mean being saved. Some places in the Bible, that is what it's talking about. But this is an innocent person. You know, how do you justify letting that person go? Well, we watched the video evidence, and he wasn't the one that was there and did the crime. Oh, so that's how you justify letting him go, because you proved it. He was justified, that he was indeed just, innocent. He was innocent. Why are you condemning that person? Because the same video showed that he's the one that actually did it, and now he's going to prison. That makes God happy when those things happen. But if they don't, it's an abomination to the Lord. Now, uh, they got in the Jewish culture, 40 stripes. That sounds pretty bad, right? What about stoning? 40 stripes sounds awesome. So they had, you know, two or three witnesses stone them to death. Okay, they get stoned to death. Well, there was also. Be uh, 40 stripes. That's way better than getting stoned to death. It's going to hurt, but your punishment is done, and now go on with life. You know, we, we have, you know, people complain, well, you're, you're, you're throwing them in jail for it. It's not that bad. Okay, well, what can you do better? Let's put them up for public display, whip them real good like the Bible says, and then we'll let them go. Or they can pick going to jail for six months. 
let them choose. But if they want to get on with life, and they want to have a public beating, everybody to watch, and they'll be humiliated in front of everybody, if that's what they want to do, do it. But they won't do anything. So when you get in the New Testament, you'll see a lot of times where you'll say, it'll say uh, 40 stripes minus 1. Right? Because because of this law right here, what if you miscounted? What if somebody, and you actually hit them 41 times, you're in big trouble with God. So the, the Jews had, just for safety, for themselves, all right, just do 39. Because if you accidentally do one extra, it'll still be 40 and we're good. So just do 39 stripes. So it, the sentence was 40 stripes, Minus one. Just make sure you don't go over 40. I mean, we should have people, you know, in government that fear God that much that they don't exceed, they don't go beyond what you're supposed to do. The punishment should meet the crime. It should, it should match up with the crime. <clears throat> That's what it's saying. It's all it's saying here. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. So remember that we are at 25, verse 4, and we'll get into that next week. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, we just want to tell you how much we are grateful and thankful for you. Father, you give us so many opportunities in this life to just live a good life, to have um, opportunity to share your love with other people. Father, we just, you know, we get, we get discouraged sometimes when we see the, uh, the world we live in. But Father, we know that we will go through tough times. Father, your word says that we will. But we know the end. And Father, we are to be people that even though we're going through tough and dark times, that we stand out. That, that the light that we have, this little light that we have will, will be brighter in this darkness. Father, we, we need to, as Christians, as born-again Christians, we need to stand on your word. Father, not be ashamed of your word and not be ashamed of the gospel that's able to save us. And Father, to go out and walk and talk with boldness. Not worrying about being, being killed for what we believe, but knowing that if we die, we'll be with you. Father, if we don't die, we are here another day to do what you've called us to do. Father, give us that, that strength and comfort that we can go out and do those things. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.